What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold, but the takes are hot. Got a really good episode for you today, guys. You know, start off real quick by mentioning NHL playoffs are going to get started pretty soon in a couple weeks. Seating, seating in each conference is fairly uh, solid now, pretty locked up for the most part. So we'll be getting into that in future episodes. Thought I'd kind of drop that knowledge in you guys real quick. Uh, little tidbit that we'll be getting into pretty soon in the future. Um, really jam-packed episode today. Got a lot to talk about. Uh, baseball starts today. Opening days today. Got a bunch of NFL buzz going around. Uh, Masters open today. Round one was today. Um, we got a lot to talk about. So we'll start off with the Masters, buddy. If you want to get us going there. Yeah, so in the golf world, a uh, pretty busy time of year. Really the first major of the year is the Masters that's played at Augusta National Golf Club down in Augusta, Georgia. Uh, but as for last week, if you tuned in, we were talking about the Valero Texas Open that was down in San Antonio at the TPC San Antonio Oaks course. That wrapped up on Sunday with J.J. Spawn winning the four-day event at 13-under. He not only earned himself $1.5 million payday from that turning, but he also earned himself a spot in the master's field. Um, but as for this week down in Augusta, Georgia, the par three contest, which is normally held the day before the opening round of the masters, uh, came back for the first time since 2019 due to COVID they canceled it the past few years. Um, but it was, uh, cut short due to weather storms rolled in yesterday afternoon, but didn't really affect the course today in the opening round. There were a few low scores about you'd expect in the opening round at Augusta. Tiger is officially playing after much anticipation and a lot of rumors circling him and his status for the Masters. Um, he wrapped up his round about 30 minutes ago, and his first round on the PJ Tour in 509 days was a good one. He had a couple bogeys, a couple birdies, and he carded a one under 71 to open his hopefully four-round weekend. Um, some of the players are beginning to wrap their final round, like I said, but one of the co-leaders is the Australian, Cameron Smith, who won the Players' Championship a few weeks ago. He finished with four-under. Um, four-under is a really good score, especially at Augusta, with considering all the stakes. But he made a double bogey on his first and last hole with eight pars and eight birdies in between. So... The 400 doesn't really tell the whole story. Uh, a couple errant tee shots to begin and end his round. And if it wasn't for those, he probably would have had most likely seven, eight underscore. Um, but we're going to get into some picks for the Masters. I know I mentioned a couple guys to look out for this week and the last week's episode, but we're going to give a couple picks that we have, a couple guys that we think could go home with a green jacket. So you got a guy that you're looking out for this week? Yeah, a couple guys came to mind. Um... You know, Bryson DeChambeau, Brooks Kepka, both back playing this week. Um, both had decent days so far. But I'm going to go with a guy who's uh, in recent history played really, really well at the Masters. One in 2019 was a runner-up uh, – or sorry, one in – twenty. The, sorry, runner-up in 2019 to Tiger. And he, uh, he won, I guess, in the first 2021 Masters, um, according to the, their official website because they had the COVID delay and all that stuff. But uh, we go Dustin Johnson, DJ. I think he – he plays historically played well at the Masters as of late when he's been playing his best golf. So I'm going to take him to, to make a splash this weekend. I like it. He's normally very consistent. Um, in that COVID-delayed Masters, Dustin Johnson won at 20 under. The guy in second um, finished at 16 under was Cameron Smith, the guy who is one of the hottest players on tour and is currently in the lead right now. So 
not my pick to win, but a guy to also look out for um, after the first round. But my pick is going to be Wills Alatoris, the young American. I know I picked him a few weeks ago to win an event. I'm just mainly picking him because he really brings to the table everything you want in a, ga- a golfer of this caliber. Normally, golfers that get on tour, oh, they get on tour because of their incredible putting, their incredible driving, their distance that they can hit with, their chipping. Uh, but this guy, Wills Alatoris, pretty much has it all. Um, nothing too special about his game that jumps out. He's just really, really good at every facet of the game, and that's what's gotten him to this point. And I think one of these years, hopefully in the next few years, and for the sake of my pick, hopefully this year, he will bring home a green jacket. And I'm sure there's many majors coming his way. Yeah, master master of none, but uh, really, really good at all, which is never a bad thing in golf. Uh Hoping to see Tiger do well. Like you said, finished at one under. Um, I think we're all pulling. Everyone's pulling for him uh, at this point. Just glad to see him back on the golf course. But hopefully he comes out with a good round here uh, in round two or day two and uh, gets to go on to rounds three and four. Um, but, you know, that, that's TBD. I'm definitely going to be watching uh, over the course of the weekend, though. Another thing I'll be watching over the course of the weekend, though, is Major League Baseball since opening day is today. Uh, really, really excited to get back into Major League Baseball. Um it's my second favorite of all the the major sports. Um, love watching baseball. It's, it's daily, basically, for for whether it's my team or every other team. There's always games going on. Um, some games starting today. I think half the half the major league ball clubs open today. The other half open tomorrow. Um, Dodgers, my team, opens tomorrow. I think the Orioles open tomorrow as well. Um, but a couple of top prospects uh, opening day rosters got announced yesterday and today for those teams that are opening. Uh, today and tomorrow, respectively. Uh, Bobby Witt Jr., number one prospect in baseball for the Kansas City Royals, did make the opening day roster, and he started at third base today for him. He's kind of a middle infielder uh, slash third baseman for him. Julio Rodriguez, I think he was the number four ranked overall prospect. He's an outfielder for Seattle. The Mariners, he made the roster, started today at center field for him. And Spencer Torkelson, who was the number one overall pick in 2019 in MLB draft, plays first base for the Detroit Lions, Detroit Lions, Detroit Tigers, Thinking about the NFL uh, draft buzz that we were talking about earlier. Uh, Detroit Tigers, first baseman, he gets on the, he gets the opening day roster. And um, all three of those guys, American League rookies, should all contend for the American League Rookie of the Year this year. Yeah, another guy in there, Adley Rutschman, the Orioles catcher. Uh, he's currently injured right now, so he's not gotten too much buzz, but he should be in the majors probably mid-May, if I had to guess, currently dealing with injury. Should be good in a few weeks, but – yeah, definitely awesome to see um, a lot of young guys come up in the game. Um, feels like they always jump out to a hot start, whether it was Chris Bryant, Trevor Story, Otani recently. Um, the young guys bring a new uh, perspective to the game. And while it's awesome to see all the legends and older guys like Cabrera and Pujols, it's nice to have kind of a new era to the game. And it keeps, you know, things fresh, keeps fans interested and, it's always good when your team has good prospects, but normally that comes with a bad major league roster. Um, but in terms of MLB, we're going to give you all some predictions that we have. I know last week we gave you a few predictions. This week we're going to give you MVPs, Cy Young, the home run leaders, and the batting average leaders for each league. Um, so we're going to start off with MVPs. Brady, you want to give us who you have for the AL and NL MVPs? Absolutely. Uh, American League MVP, going to go with a guy who – has been in contention for it before a bit of a quieter year last year for him. And I think he bounces back. He's had a good spring. I'm going to go Aaron judge uh, from the New York Yankees. I think he's just going to have a really good year. Um, 
He's poised to. He, he's been in the position to, to win an MVP before. I thought he should have won it in 2017. Altuve got it, and now he definitely should have won it because the Astros were cheating. Um, so I think Aaron Judge get, gets his gets his this this um, this season. And on the National League, I'm gonna go with Juan Soto, uh, guy who finished I want to say second or third in voting last year for the National League MVP. Um, I think he has a monster year. He's po- again he's poised for it. I think. You know, he's a guy who could potentially take the torch from Mike Trout as the, as the best player in baseball. Um, the guy is a monster at the plate. He's a really, really underrated fielder, I think, for being as big as he is. He moves really well in left field. Um, so I think Juan Soto takes it home in the National League. I like those picks. Definitely two guys that could bring home the hardware when the season wraps up. I'm going to go two different directions here. In the American League, I'm going to go Vlad Guerrero Jr. out of Toronto. Um, talk a little bit m- more about the Blue Jays here in a few minutes, but I think Vlad's got all you need to win MVP. Um, Not anything special in the field, but when you hit as hard as he does, as far as he does, as often as he does, I mean, he could win the batting title, the triple crown MVP. I mean, the ceiling is as high as any prospect in baseball. And if it wasn't for Otani, then he probably wins MVP last year. But just a guy that I think he's kind of like, a better Prince fielder. I think he could end up being yeah. when it's all said and done. Um, I just really like, I mean, watching a guy that hits a ball that hard is always awesome to see, even if he's in your own division. And then for the national league, I got Ronald Acuna jr. From the Braves. Um, a guy that's always playing well, like Vlad. Um, he is a little older, but he's very consistent. He could lead the league in a number of categories this year. Um, and really, him and Freddie Freeman last year were the two main guys um, that were kind of carrying the torch for the Braves as they made it really far in the playoffs. So, Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing Acuna come back from that injury. Um, they, they made, when the Braves kind of went through that, that slump in midseason before they got to the deadline and made a bunch of moves, it was right after Acuna got hurt and it was a huge detriment to the team. Uh, just in terms of morale, I think it's hard seeing – you know, arguably your best player go down with an ACL tear like that uh, on on a routine, you know, play in the center field. So um, really looking forward to see him get back as, as much as it's tough to watch another another NL player uh, dominate uh, in the same league as, as the Dodgers are. And it's it, he's a really fun player to watch, really fun player. Um, good for the guys like guys like him are good for the MLB. Um, so I kind of move into pitching the Cy Young predictions. here. I'm going to go in the American League. I'm going to go Jose Barrios. Another Blue Jay getting an award prediction here from us. Kind of went outside of the box here. Could have gone with Shane Bieber, Garrett Cole, guys of that nature. Um, Even the guy that Breck, I I thought about him too. But uh, I think Jose Barrios, he's he's young, primed to have a really good year. Um, On a really good Blue Jays team now, I think he's going to get really good run support. So I think Jose Barrios could could stack up the wins this year um, and have a really good year as 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 coming into – being 27 going into the season, I think he's going to be right in his prime. Uh, and then my National League pick, another guy who's 27, should stack up the wins with really good run support, is Walker Bueller, pitcher for the Dodgers. Um, he kind of – I thought he had the Cy Young bagged with about a month to go uh, in 2021 last year, and he kind of had a couple bad starts down the stretch that that uh, pushed him out of out of contention for it. I think he finished fourth in voting for the Cy Young last year behind um, Corbin Burns, who ended up winning it last year for the Brewers. I want to say Zach Wheeler from the Phillies and his former teammate Max Scherzer 
so I think Walker Buehler gets it done this year. I think he get, gets his his due. Um, it would have been DeGrom or Scherzer for me, but uh, both of those guys are going to start the year on the injured list. Uh, DeGrom, who knows when he pitches again, and it sounds like Scherzer shut down for a couple of weeks. So uh, with those two guys kind of looking like they may be uh, injury, have the injury bug this year, I'm going to go with Walker Buehler. Yeah, I'll stick in the NL. Um, I am picking Corbin Burns to repeat. I think he's just getting to where he'll be for his next few years as he kind of gets to his prime. Uh, he finished last year, like you said, I think it was like 11 and 5, 2, 5, 2, 4, 3 year, which is incredible. Uh, he pitched in 28 games, but I think this year you'll see an uptick in probably a few more appearances, let him go a little longer, just kind of eased in as much as he could be um, looking him to kind of be the leader of that rotation. And hopefully the Brewers offense comes around a little more than it did last year, but no doubt they should. And then for the American league Cy Young, I have Lucas Giolito, uh, the pitcher from the White Sox. He had about a three, five ERA last year, but I think he turns it around this year and he had a few just incredible outings last year. And I think, those will come more consistently and frequently this year. Yeah, Giolito was a guy. It was between him and Barrios for me, and I and I went I went Barrios in a different direction. But uh, Giolito, really solid pitcher. I think he could have a really really good year again uh, for the White Sox. I go home runs leaders now. Uh, this is kind of always what drives um, All Star voting, MVP voting, that kind of thing. So my American League uh, home run home run leader is going to be Aaron Judge. I think if Aaron Judge wins the MVP, he's going to lead the the American League in home runs, um, and that's what I think may happen this year. So I'm going to double down there on Aaron Judge, and then National League, I'm going to go with Pete Alonso. This felt like a really easy pick. The guy, all he does is hit homers, so um, not necessarily the best guy at the plate. Kind of kind of got a high strikeout ratio or percentage, whatever you want to call it. Um, not a great strikeout ratio from Pete Alonzo. So I think, but he, but he matches the ball like nobody else. So I'm going to take him to lead the, lead, uh, lead the national league in home runs this year. I agree. I also picked Pete Alonzo to lead the NL in homers. Um, I think him and my AL pick could get to 50. I think Alonzo has as much pop as anyone and definitely awesome to watch throughout the season and you see all his highlights pop up whether it be on twitter instagram every bomb he hits it's just mashed um awesome to watch in the home run derby um but like you said the home run leader normally drives the mvp voting and so my al mvp was vlad and i'm also picking him to lead the al and the league in home runs um plays in a hitter friendly ballpark up there in toronto and I think with them getting back there full time, you'll see his home run numbers go up. Um, and I think his average will go up as well. So can't wait to watch him and Alonzo and Judge and all those guys get back to hitting bombs. It's just awesome for the game. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's it's a really exciting time for baseball. There's a lot of really, really good offensive players. Um, Vlad being one of them, young guys who just are just hitting the ball like none other right now. So I think baseball's in a great place there. And, We'll kind of shift from power hitters to guys who are going to hit for average this year and take our batting average leaders or batting average champs. Um, we'll start in the National League. This is an easier pick for me, I thought. Um, this was originally going to be my AL pick, but I realized shortly after that he's now in the National League with the Mets. It's going to be Starling Marte. 
should have led the league in batting average last year in the American League, but he when he got traded from the Miami Marlins to the Oakland Athletics uh, midseason, he was no longer eligible to win in the American League since he didn't have enough starts in the American League or at-bats or whatever it is. Um, he, would have, he was far and away the best batting average in, in all of baseball last year, but due to that switch midseason, um, was not eligible in the American League from going over from National League to American League uh, with the A's. So now that he's going to – assuming he's in the National League the whole season, I'm going to go Starling Marte as my National League batting champ. My American League batting champ, this is a little bit outside the box. Um, I mean, just the, just the, the player batting for average, but uh, I'm going to go Mike Trout here. I think he's going to go back to having MVP-type seasons. I don't know if he wins the MVP this year. I think voter fatigue is going to kind of set in for Mike Trout, just like it kind of did for – in in basketball for LeBron and for Jordan. Um, I think people were tired of voting for Mike Trout to win MVP, even though he probably should every year. Um, so I'm going to take him to, to lead the, the American League in batting average, though. I think he's kind of banged up last year, so I think he comes back real healthy. Uh, I think he's going to bat for really, really good averages. So obviously going to bat for power, but I think I'm going to bat for really good average. I agree. Mike Trout's always great bet to lead the league in any number of offensive categories. Um, my batting average leaders, I'll start with my AL guy. I was between two guys here, um, but I'm going to go with Bo Bichette, the infielder out of Toronto. Um, I do not like Toronto this much. It's just they got two really good guys, and they're going to they're gonna be good for a few years. I think they'll do well in the playoffs this year as well. But I think Bichette's a guy, another young guy who's really coming up, playing well recently. He's improved each year in the league. Could see him finishing around a 330 average. Uh, another guy I was thinking of was Tim Anderson out of the White Sox. Really good. He could also yeah. be up there in average. But as for the National League, I'm going to go with my MVP, the guy who thought he would be healthier sooner than later. Um, probably a few more weeks out of that recovery, but Ronald Acuna Jr. I think once he's healthy, I don't think ACL affects you that much in baseball compared to other sports, especially football, even basketball. Um, so I think he should be good to go probably by towards the end of May, um, fully healthy, probably easing him in beginning of May, but I could, I could see him leading for average again. I think he did a few years ago, um, but I definitely think he's a guy that can get hot and stay hot for a little bit longer than maybe than some other guys. Yeah. I think he he's, if I had to pick MVP votes for, for national league right now, it's my top three. And, and I think, I think it's close right now is, my guy would pick Soto, uh, Bryce Harper, and Acuna. I think uh, Acuna could definitely uh, win it, and I could see him. Like you said with Trout, he could lead the National League in any number of offensive categories. So um, definitely looking for a big season from him. And then we'll kind of go from the, these high-end players here to picking, you know, a lot of their teams are probably pretty good. Uh, you know, Blue Jays had a couple of guys on here. White Sox had a guy, Yankees. So we're going to go ahead and pick uh, division winners and wild card uh, selections as well. Uh, Brett, if you want to start us off there. Yeah, so I'll start out with the American League uh, out of the AL East, the Orioles division, where I'm picking the Orioles to finish last. Um, picking the Blue Jays to finish first. I think the Blue Jays will finish around maybe 92, 93 wins. Um, loaded division this year, so I don't see one team taking it and running with it. I don't think anyone's going to get to 100 wins. you got the Yankees, Sox, and Rays as well. Um, but I'm going to take the Blue Jays to take the division there. Um, AL Central, I'm going to take the White Sox. Another good division, not quite as good as the AL East, but the White Sox are not 
selling and their division has gotten a little bit easier since last year. Uh, AL West, I'm going to go with a team that has lost a couple guys in the Houston Astros. Um, maybe some local listeners will be happy about this pick. But I don't know. I think the Astros just – they stay consistent. They always seem to find good pitching when it matters. And when, when guys get hot, that seems to carry the rest of the team um, regardless of how the rest of the – how the rest of the lineup is shaking out, but I'll let you do your AL and then we can move to NL. Yeah. I'm going to make the, the local listeners upset. Um, I really don't like the Astros. That's just how I feel about them uh, for a multitude of reasons, mainly being the fact that they openly cheated and won a world series because of it, or were awarded with it. I think it should have been stripped, but we'll talk about Rob Manfraud later on if we want to. Um, and the AL West, I'm going to pick the Seattle Mariners, not just because I'm spiting the Astros and their fan base, really because I think that the Mariners are going to win the division. Um, they got a lot better this offseason, I feel like. Uh, I think they really slept on it. Julio Rodriguez could have a really, really, really big year for them in center field. Um, Robbie Ray, again, a guy who's almost kind of like a journeyman pitcher for a long time and won a Cy Young last year because he, I think he figured it out. And I think – uh, when older pitchers kind of figure it out, they can be really dangerous for the, for a few years to come. So I think he repeats having a really, really solid year. I don't think he wins a Cy Young, of course, but I think he has a really good year for the Mariners. Uh, and then I'm, I'm, I'm with Brett on the next two, AL East and, and AL Central on White Sox and Blue Jays. Uh, I just think that, uh, you know, the White Sox, AL Central might be the worst division in baseball. And I think the White Sox probably run away with it by 10-plus games by the end of the season, maybe even 20 um, the twins could maybe make some noise, but their pitching's kind of man, they got rid, they didn't bring back Jose Barrios. So, um, you go with the White Sox there, and then Blue Jays. I look at the same thing Brett said, it's a loaded division. I could see, honestly, I could see four teams winning it of the five. Uh, I'm with Brett on the Orioles placing last, they're just not they're they're not playing for that this year, they're they're not playing to compete, they're they're playing to develop prospects, which is. Um, probably the right decision for them long-term. So uh, of all the teams, I'm going to pick the Blue Jays. I think they have the best roster right now. The Yankees didn't really figure out their pitching. The Red Sox pitching really hasn't figured out either. And um, the Rays are kind of just a mystery. They, I could see them winning the division. I could see them being the best team in the American League or just not making the playoffs. So um, yeah, I'm going to go with the Blue Jays, though, out of, out of there for sure. You mentioned the Red Sox. It's a really weird situation for them. It seems like they're – sellers more times than not it seems like they make themselves uh poverty franchises some people like to call it when i mean they're boston they can be one of the biggest market franchises if they want to be it just doesn't really make yeah. sense the way well, they they're also they're also one of the most season. one of the most storied franchises ever too i mean they yeah they their decision making they traded mookie bets why do you trade a guy coming off an mvp season who might be one of the best five players in baseball i i don't get it so, um, yeah, it yeah, makes sense, mm -mm. but we're going to go to our, uh, national league division picks. Um, we are different with all three of our picks here. Uh, I'm going to start us out with the NL East. I'm going to go with the Atlanta Braves, um, kind of an easier pick to make, but I just like the Braves. I mean, I think they're one of the more consistent franchises and teams at the moment. Like I mentioned, Ronald Cunha will be back. They also have Ozzy Osby's. Uh, they lost Freddie Freeman, but I think they should be able to replace that um, to an extent. Obviously, you're not going to replace his production and his fielding, but I think the Braves will be just fine. Um, not a great division. You have a few other teams. You're going to talk about one of them um, that are contenders to win that division. 
but it's not one of the most stacked divisions. So if the Braves get hot, I could see them pulling away. Um, but as for the NL Central, I'm going to go with the Milwaukee Brewers. And I think their pitching could be best in the league this year. Um, they really have a great rotation, top three rotation, maybe in the league, um, just for because of a few guys. But I like the Brewers. Um, side note, they have a really cool ballpark. So it is a pitcher-friendly ballpark, which helps them out. They play 81 games there. But I like the Brewers. Like I said, I think their offense will come around a little more this year. Um, but as for the last division, NL West, I think a few teams could win this division, see the Dodgers winning it. Going with the Giants, though, just because I think they have a young group that's constantly developing. And while they do have a couple of vets on that roster to kind of help with the development of the young guys, I think the young guys are really going to start taking over offensively for that team and hopefully lead them to a playoff berth. Yeah, I could see, like I said, like you said, I think there's three teams in that division that could win it um, realistically. Uh, in my opinion, I, I have the Dodgers winning the NL West. Um, as I even biased, I think that's a lot of people have that pick. Um, I will say this because we're going to get into wild cards after this, but I don't have the Giants making the playoffs. Uh, reason being is because I don't, don't I just don't know how their pitching is going to turn out this year. They lose Goswin, they get Rodon. Very similar pitchers in the fact that they – historically were not very good and kind of found themselves last year uh, in the past couple of years. So not really sure what they're going to do pitching wise. They lose Buster Posey, who was far and away their best player last year. Um, Brandon Crawford gets another year older. So I just don't know what they're going to look like offensively. They're, they're a big mystery to me. Um, so I'm not going to have them make the playoffs right now. I also think another team in the division makes a, a, a much needed bounce back year. Um, but I'm going to go Dodgers out the out of the NL West. They're going to have, the deepest pitching room come August and September and October in, in the, in baseball with, with Walker Bueller, Clayton Kershaw, Julio Arias, Dustin May. And I don't even know if I want to say this in the podcast, but potentially Trevor Bauer. I don't know what's going to happen with him. No one does. I don't even think he knows if he does end up getting, being able to play. He probably pitches for the Dodgers this year. Um, if he does play and he'll, and if he's going to play, he's going to play in the postseason. Um, their bullpen's really deep. They've got the best lineup in the majors. Um, so I'm going to stick. I'm going to stick with my with my guys. NL Central. I'm going to go with the Cardinals. Uh, I thought about the Brave, the Braves, the Brewers, like you like you picked. Um, but I think the Cardinals are a really young team last year. I'm a, I'm a big Jack Flaherty fan. He's a really really good pitcher. Um, another guy I could see kind of stepping into his his own as a true dominant uh, ace for them and can see him making a Young run. Uh, their outfield is really, really athletic. They're probably the fastest team in the majors. And um, I just think they're, they're a quality ball club. Uh, historically, they're always really scrappy. I guess if a baseball team could be scrappy, it'd be them. They just find a way to win baseball games. Um, so I'm going to go with the Cardinals. The NL East, uh, thought about the Braves, thought about the Mets, but due to the fact that, like I said, Mets pitching, top two pitchers on their team, look like they're not going to pitch for a while. Um, I'm not going to pick them to win the, the NL East. I'm going to pick the Phillies, the Philadelphia Phillies. I think they've got one of the hottest players in baseball right now, at least in the spring, in the, over the sort of spring training was Bryce Harper. And um, Zach Wheeler is a really, really good pitcher for them. I think that, again, they're kind of a slept on team. Uh, younger guys like Alec Bohm could have a huge impact for them this year. So I'm going to pick the Phillies to win the, the NL East. Bit of a hot take, but I'm going to rock with it. I like it. I like it. 
And then we have our wild card picks as well. Um, each conference, or sorry, each league, wrong sport, each league gets six teams in the playoffs, three teams, the three division winners, and then three additional wild card teams. And those three wild card teams in the American League for me are going to be the Yankees, Red Sox, and White Sox, um, three teams that could also win the division, three teams that I think will hang right with the teams that I have winning the division. Um, they have all the depth you need to be a playoff team, so I think they're the safest bet to pick as the wild card teams. Yeah, out of the American League, I'm going to go with the Yankees, the Rays, and the Astros. Um, Boston's pitching and is too much of a mystery for me to pick them. Uh, I thought about it. We go with the Astros to make it. Uh, they're just they're too good of a baseball team. They're they're just too talented not to make the playoffs. Uh, I think I think the, them and the Mariners are going to be a tight race down to the maybe even the last game of the season for for the division. Um, and the Yankees, same thing. I think they're going to be too talented not to make it out of that division uh, with the Rays. So um, yeah, those are my those are my uh, American League wildcard picks. Move over to the NL uh, for my National League teams. I got the Mets. I think once their pitching gets back, they'll get going a little bit. Might have one of the top five records or so for the last month of the year, get hot at the right time, maybe slide into a wild card berth. Uh, and then, of course, I got the Dodgers. Could also win a division. And then the Cardinals, you had them winning the Central. Um, I think they'll be the second in the Central, maybe five, four or five games back of the Brewers when the season wraps up. Yep. My National League wild card, I got, I got two teams that you had one in the divisions, uh, the Braves and the Brewers. I think they make it. And I think I got the Padres, got the NL West, uh, coming in a wild card team. They're really, really talented, and there's not really other way around it. I know they're going to be missing Tatis for the first month or so of the season. Uh, Manny Machado is still a really, really good third baseman. He might be the best third baseman in baseball. Uh, depends on who you ask. I'm not saying he is, but he's certainly up there. Um, they're just a talented team. And while they did take a step back last year from what people thought they could have been, their pitching is still going to be quality. And I think that they're ultimately going to have a bounce back season. And once they get Tatis back, I could see him going on a roll and, and, uh, and getting a wild card spot locked up. I like it. I agree. I mean, what's nice about baseball is so many games, so many teams. Um, there could be so many different directions that the standings go, that individual stats go from, day to day. So always something to check in on pretty frequently to see what the latest is with all these guys and all the teams and the standings, but it's pretty much it for MLB. Uh, we're excited. The season's kicking off. Should be fun over the next four or five months. We got baseball every day, which is always a positive, but we also got baseball for the next three months or so at the college level. Um, a lot of shifting in the rankings this week, Texas tech, our team jumped from seven to four when the rankings came out Monday morning, um, even though they lost the finale to Kansas Sunday, um, they still jumped to four. And then so far this week, they lost both games against Grand Canyon university. That is in Arizona during the little midweek series that kind of get uh, some prep and some live at bats before they host Kansas state this weekend, starting tomorrow night. But I mean, Grand Canyon's a solid team. They're ranked top 30 right now. So They'll probably move into the rankings this upcoming Monday, depending on how their weekend series goes. Um, I expected to split with them. I didn't think we would win both, but I didn't think we'd lose both. Um, pitching your really none of your best pitchers, obviously, because it's a midweek series, doesn't help your chances. Uh, the game yesterday, we didn't really play that many starters. Didn't expect to win once I saw the lineup come out, but definitely something that 
I mean, not trying to win midweek games is not a great sign, but it's also, I understand getting other guys at bats and see if they're get hot at the right time. You want to have the best guys on the field for when those weekend series comes come around. Yeah. I think the pitching is really the concerning thing for, for us at Texas tech baseball. I think we've, I've talked about it before and mentioned it last week on the pod, but you know, that's going to be their Achilles heel, I think, all year. And it's, that was their Achilles heel last year um, until they played Stanford and couldn't put up any runs. But that was their Achilles heel last year for the most part. And I think it will be this year is the fact that their pitching is just inconsistent outside of Brandon Birdsell has been an ace for us this year. And uh, now back to Andrew Morris. I know we, we called him Meatball Morris in the first episode of the pod because that's what we were rocking with at the time. But uh, Andrew Morris has, has really cemented himself as a quality starter for us. Um so outside of those two guys, though, it's been inconsistent from the bullpen, whether it's been you know, the other starter in Mason Molina, true freshman, or it's been, uh, you know, uh, Hampton as, as kind of your your main midweek starter, or e- even your bullpen guys you thought would be really good, like uh, Trenton Parrish, Brendan Gurton, Derek Bridges. All those guys have been inconsistent. So um, they got to figure it out here pretty soon. Really need to feel like really need to figure it out pretty soon because it's going to – you can't lose conference games. You got to win your conference games, especially your weekend series. Um you know, the loss on Sunday to Kansas is an example of a game that you you should win and you have to win, to be honest. Like, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, Texas, Oklahoma State, those teams aren't gonna may not lose games they're, they're not supposed to lose. You know what I mean? So, you know, if tech wants to win the win the conference, they gotta win games that they should and not lose games that they should win. Um, but I guess kind of talking about a team that's doing a little more than just winning games they should. Uh, Tennessee volunteers have cemented themselves as far and away the best team in the country. Uh, I remember, you know, we talked about last weekend uh, or in the last week's pod talked about how they went into Oxford and swept number one Ole Miss. And then they jumped to number one this week, rightfully so. And they go with the, they go to Nashville this past weekend, uh, play Vanderbilt, and they sweep them. They take all three from them. Uh, and they look dominant in all those games. Their pitching is really, really good. Their bats are really, really good. That team has does nothing poorly. They do everything really, really well at a high level. So, um. They're my far and away pick to win the College World Series right now. I don't know if anyone's beating them in anything. So any semblance of a post of a postseason series. So I'm definitely gonna take Tennessee to win it all right now. And they look like the best team in the country. No doubt. In my opinion, yeah, at least. I agree. I was saying a few days ago, I think they if they happened to lose two of three um this upcoming weekend, I don't know who they're playing, but I assume it's a home series. If they happened by some odd chance to lose two of three. I think they should stay right at number one in the rankings. Um, number two is Arkansas. Arkansas has lost, I believe, four more games than Tennessee. Um, has had a much less impressive resume to this point. Um, obviously, Tennessee sweeping two of the top three, four teams in the SEC, which is just absolutely loaded in the terms of baseball. Um, but if, as we go outside the SEC, uh, local team, San Marcos, Texas State Bobcats, they cracked the top 10 this week as they jumped up from 20 to number 10 in the country in the latest rankings. They, they've they looked good. They have a few really good pitchers that I don't think many people saw coming, coming into the season, hence them being unranked. Um, really clicking on all cylinders, it seems, at least from the score and who they're playing. Um, and then also the Florida State Seminoles, they dropped 15 spots from five all the way to 20. They got swept by Notre Dame last week when many people had FSU winning that series. But I was shocked to see Notre Dame only went up three spots after that sweep of number five FSU. So a little surprising there because when we swept or we won two of three against UT, 
we went up a good bit in the rankings. So not sure what the voters have against Notre Dame, but a little shock. So we'll see if – I mean, Notre Dame has got a good baseball team this year, obviously. So we'll see if they continue to climb in the rankings. Yeah, yeah I'll tell you this. Notre Dame might have the best batting helmets in baseball. They, they got the golden domers, what they're called in football. It rains true in baseball. Those those batting yeah, they're nice. are fire. They're so sick. I, I I love them personally. I do too. I think they're really cool. I wish I wish Tech would do something with the helmets. They're always just like black, and they always wear black hats. And it's yeah. either red, white, or black jerseys. It's like I want to mix it up a little bit. Maybe get some red hats in there, some white hats, helmets. You know, I want to see it. Hey, a red hat could though. be fire. A red hat could be just heat. But mm-hmm. you gotta gotta not be an Under Armour school to have some some cool unis. Uh, you gotta be a Jordan school for that. But uh, speaking of Michael Jordan, NBA legend, we'll switch to the NBA here as we get going. Um, NBA playoffs are gonna are, are quickly approaching. Uh, Miami with a win tonight clinches the one seed in the East, uh, and then out kind of further out in the, in the standings, Brooklyn will have the seventh seed. They'll play Charlotte or Cleveland in the play-in game. Uh, that's to be to be determined at the number eight seed, and then the two and two the two through four seeds are also for grabs in the East. Each team there within a half game of each other. Um, similar out in, out in the West, uh, for the most part, it's locked up. Uh, Memphis and and uh, the Phoenix Suns have clinched up the second and uh, first seeds respectively, and you've got Golden State and Dallas a half game apart for the three seed. Outside of that, it's pretty pretty locked up there. Yeah, um, like you said. Teams either have three, two or three games remaining in the regular season before either their season's over or they go on to the playoffs. Um, but as for the Western Conference play-in situation, the winner of the Minnesota Timberwolves and Los Angeles Clippers in the play-in will face Memphis, and the loser of that game will go on to play the winner of the Pelicans and the Spurs. Um, which that I believe that kicks off here in about six days is the first or are the play in games. So definitely something to keep an eye out for. Um, by the time we release episode seven next week, we will have all the playoff matchups with the eight seeds after the play in games have concluded. So definitely something to pay attention to if you're an NBA fan. Um, a lot can change here in a few days. And with the play in games holding so much weight with one and done. Um, could be very interesting down the stretch when, let's say, you have Pelicans or Clippers going to play Phoenix or even the Spurs and could make for some very interesting matchups and down the stretch in the playoffs and lead to hopefully maybe a higher seed making a run here in the NBA playoffs. But as we go down to the college level, um, outside of the playoff, implications there isn't really much going on in the NBA in terms of individual player uh, situations or anything so college basketball season just wrapped up uh, Kansas faced off against the Tar Heels in the NCAA national championship Monday night and they pulled off the biggest comeback in NCAA final history coming back down 16 and at the half they were down 15 I believe UNC went on a 16-0 run at some point there in the second half uh, the UNC big man Armando Baycott, he got hurt in the final minutes. If you look, he was driving towards the basket with his right hand, gets in the paint, and his foot gets caught up on a loose floorboard. Um, so definitely something that you just can't have in a national championship game playing played at Caesar Superdome, which is where the New Orleans Saints play. 
Yeah, I've never been a fan of them playing games in football stadiums and kind of making these, if you want to call them artificial, you know, basketball courts, if you will. Um, I feel like the biggest four game, biggest three games of the call of the college basketball season should be played on a real basketball court. If you want to do it in a bigger arena, that's fine. Pick an NBA arena or an NBA city with a big arena. That's fine. But um, I'm just never really a fan of playing those games on, on, on art. Like I said, artificial kind of floors. Um, that injury is just an example of something that can happen. Um, like I said, not, I'm not a huge fan of it. Uh, nevertheless, um, how much it impacted the game? Probably a lot, actually. Um, granted, yeah, I don't know yeah. if – I mean, you know, it, David McCormick goes down and, and puts up two buckets in a row on Brady Manick uh, when it should have been Armando Baycott playing defense on him. So, probably holds some weight in the game. Granted, Kansas could have gone to a couple other guys, Remy Martin or Ochai Abajis. But, but uh, you know, we'll, I guess we'll never know how much impact it really had. But, um, you know, after since season's over now – you're seeing a lot of, you know, way too early top 25s or way too early final four picks. And and while there is some weight to that and there are some teams like Arkansas who have, you know, a bunch of highly rated recruits coming in, it's also going to change a lot in the next, you know, few months, probably from now through August as the transfer portal kind of um, shifts the landscape of college basketball. I know like last season, Texas Tech had, you know, a plethora of transfers come in that that made super high impacts, Bryce Williams being one of them. So um, do I think that the Red Raiders may have another another Bryce Williams in the portal? Maybe not. I mean, that's rare to find, but I think they're going to get uh, near one team that could get, you know, four to six guys. They're going to be high impact players from the portal next year. So um, I personally will not be doing any preseason final four picks right now. I feel like that can't be made till August till after the portals kind of, the, the movement's been done in the portal and there hasn't been a ton of, you know, there haven't been a ton of shakeup in a while. So um, yeah, college basketball landscape is going to change vastly in the next few weeks. I mean, for example, like Walker Kessler, who was the defensive player of the year in college, college basketball, he was a UNC Tar Heel last, this time last year, he transferred to Auburn in the off season. So, you know, a guy who could have been on a national championship team, you know, it, it, a lot's going to change here pretty soon. I agree. Yeah, definitely. Something that just completely changes not only the landscape of college basketball, but the landscape of um, your organization that you're leaving or the one that you're joining. Really, transfer portal is kind of somewhat new to the sport um, with all these guys leaving and joining. It definitely shakes up not only the roster, but predictions and the anticipation that you can have for a team with the guys that they pick up or lose. Um, but one guy, uh, from University of Kentucky, Oscar Sheeway, he dominated this year in the college basketball landscape. He won the Wooden Award, the Naismith Player of the Year, and the Associated Press Player of the Year. Definitely a big man that any team would want on their roster, regardless of what their depth chart looks like. Uh, balled out all season long for Kentucky. Really helped them when their guards went down. Stay consistent and climbed in the rankings, even with their guards out, and allowed other guys to get looks and play really well because he was just taking up all the defenders on the other team because he demanded that so much attention um, because of how dominant he was. But definitely I would love to have a guy like that. I know there is a big in the portal, Fardal's Amick, I believe is his last name. I don't remember how to pronounce his name. Uh, Tech is looking at him, but you could, teams could always use bigs. 
these are just so versatile and so important in today's game. Um, as the game gets more and more positionless, bigs are kind of one thing that are kind of staying right now to an extent. Uh, as long as you have a seven-foot guy, guy that's big and can still guard and shoot down low, it's so valuable to the team no matter how good your guard play is. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, like you said, uh, everyone can use a big. A lot of bigs are going to be out there. So, uh, like I said, transfer portal is going to be crazy and should should shake up a ton of stuff. Um, speaking of shakeups, transfer portal-wise, uh, we shift over to college football now. Uh, Texas Tech got a, got a portal transfer here uh, last week. Got a, a, an off- offensive lineman. I believe he played tackle or guard. I don't remember which. Was he ended up playing – I think he, I know he was a tackle in high school. Uh, he's from Tech. He's from uh, state of Texas. He went to USC his freshman year. I believe he redshirted there and he transferred to Texas Tech this week. Um, not sure what he's going to play for us, uh, guard or tackle. I don't really know what USC was looking at him as. Maybe that's why he moved. He wanted to play tackle and they wanted him to be a guard. I don't know. Um, but really looking forward to that. I think he he might start this year as a really highly rated prospect coming out of coming out of high school. I mean, you're a kid from Texas going to USC. You're going to be pretty highly rated. So. Um, really, really looking forward to seeing how he he does uh, for the Red Raiders here in spring ball, uh, spring game, April twenty third. You got a time this week at twelve thirty, so looking forward to that coming up pretty soon too in a couple weeks. But uh, not much other than that going on in college football. Uh, a lot of pro days keep rolling on. Uh, pro day happened yesterday. LSU's pro day. Derek Stingley Jr. was kind of the name to watch. All thirty two teams had representatives there. Uh, my team, Los Angeles Chargers, had head coach Brandon Staley there. And he was actually the one doing the workout with, uh, with Derek Stingley, kind of taking him through it, that kind of thing, um, kind of in his hip pocket. Uh, not literally, but he was he was glued to him for most of the time during the day. Uh, they talked a lot before and after the, his pro day, which is pretty cool. But um, really, really good performance from him. Goes at a 4.3740 at a 38-inch vertical. And then his ball skills and just fluidness as an athlete were, were on display. Um, kind of throughout his drills, I think there was a – I'm trying to remember who the reporter was. Um, that said it, but basically, I think it was James Palmer was in an interview with Stingley after the after his pro day, and basically said like, and there was a Baltimore Ravens scout that said he looked at you and he watched you get a catch a ball out of there. He goes ball skills, check those are good or something like that, and uh, you know so I think all all thirty two teams had guys there and and knew how good he was or is rather. Yeah, definitely someone that has been tagged as kind of the first or second best corner in this draft class. And I wouldn't mind taking him. I don't think he's there at 14. I think his floor is probably 12 with the Minnesota Vikings, um, as it is for the other highly touted corner, Sauce Gardner out of Cincinnati. I think they're both gone no later than 12. Um, But in terms of corners and just rankings for positions in general, next week's episode, we're actually going to have position rankings for y'all through most of the positions on the football field. We're going to have, corners, safeties, D-line, edge rushers, linebackers, receivers, quarterbacks, all that kind of stuff. So be sure you're tuned in next week. Um, That's pretty much all for college football slash draft talk. A few extensions and interest this week. uh, The Buffalo Bills, their wide receiver, Stephon Diggs, he signed an extension worth four years, $96 million, uh, which is 24 a year, can be worth up to 26 a year but it won't kick in for another two years. So he's got that four years on top of the two years that he still has remaining Uh, six years remaining in Buffalo. He will be 34 when all of his contracts are up. Said he was going to be a bill for the rest of his days in the NFL, but definitely something to watch for. I mean, 
one of the top receivers in the game getting solid money for what he does on the field. Yeah, I, I thought it was really smart for the Bills to get him under contract now. Um, you know, seeing what, you know, guys are going for these days, receivers. I mean, saw somebody say the other day, it's, it's now valuable to have a receiver on a rookie contract because these guys are getting paid so much money. So um, good job by the Bills to get him locked up prior to uh, DK Metcalf, those guys getting their contracts, which we'll talk about in a second here. Um, but another, another little, bit, little bit of news today, I know Brett and I mentioned it on uh, the Mock Draft Monday episode on Monday. We won't get into why we mentioned it, but we just kind of mentioned that the Cowboys might be looking to move Micah Parsons to full-time edge rusher slash defensive end. Um, that is not the case. The report came out today that they are not looking to do that, and they want to keep him in his little high – Calling it a hybrid linebacker role. Um, I'm just calling it an outside linebacker role because he's rushing the passer, he's dropping into coverage, he's playing a, in the box sometimes, which is kind of what old school outside linebackers used to do. So um, I'll I'll, I'll kind of stick in that role for him. Uh, I don't know how you feel about it, Brett, but I think that's that's probably the right decision for them. Yeah, it is definitely having someone that brings the kind of value that Micah does. Um, having him really be able to fill in anywhere. Permanently, if someone goes down, is valuable. Uh, having him shift all over the defense, like you said, primarily outside linebacker, I want to call it, um, is good for that defense and can help the development of other guys at both the defensive line and the inside linebacker position. Uh, but you just mentioned it, DK Metcalf, a lot of buzz around him this week. Haven't had a consensus on his status with the Seahawks or his trade, uh, the likeliness that he gets traded this offseason, but was reported today, uh, the latest update could always change, that Seahawks are looking for two first-round picks. Um, may have seen a report earlier this week that said the Jets offered the 10th overall pick for DK. That was apparently not true. Update came out the next day saying that was not the case, that they did not offer the 10th overall pick. So continues to – it remains to be seen what DK's status is officially. Um, he's tweeting out plenty of things that can make you think a number of things. Uh one of the teams apparently called – there was a report that a team called the Seahawks about a DK, and DK said that there was no interest in him. He tweeted it himself, and he said per uh, himself as he tagged himself in his own tweet, saying that he was the source uh, for that correct info as the report was false. Uh, definitely something to look at, though. One of the game's top receivers getting moved on a rookie deal is always a possibility in this day and age of the NFL and wide receiver contracts. Uh, but I definitely think – if I had to make my prediction now after seeing everything, I think he stays in Seattle for this year. Uh, he does not have a fifth-year option because he was a second-round pick. So, really, this is his last year on his rookie deal. Yeah, I think he stays. Um, Going to follow suit with another guy here, Terry McLaurin, who the Washington Commanders said that they have not fielded and will not be fielding any calls on him for a trade. Um, that's the right decision. Neither of those teams should move either of those receivers. Um, and I guess – this has been for some reason, and I think this is stirred up purely by the media that we, you know, that there's going to be these teams moving these, these receivers do for contracts, Debo Samuel, Hunter run for all these guys. And um, I think that's ridiculous personally. I think why would you want to move? Like if you're the Niners, why would you want to move your Debo Samuel? You have a quarterback on a rookie contract. You can afford to pay guys big money when you have that situation going on, which is probably part of the reason. In fact, not probably. It is the reason they went and got Trey Lance. They could have been fine and made another Super Bowl run with Jimmy Garoppolo, but they don't want to pay him that much. They have other guys to pay, like Nick Bosa, 
like Debo Samuel now. So they, they got to get those guys paid first. And um, I think this notion that guys like Terry McLaurin should get moved, A.J. Brown, absolutely not. Terrible, terrible takes, and I am 100% not here for it. Yeah, you definitely want to see guys develop with a team that took a chance on them. They're playing well. I mean, both great receivers in DK and Terry. Um, and I think Terry brings a lot to that offense That's really doesn't have much around him other than Gibson in the backfield. But I want to see Terry stay, see him be the next great receiver for Washington um, in the long-term aspect of it. But uh, in terms of a little more NFL draft buzz, uh, a lot of reports of players conducting visits with teams and teams then showing interest, maybe some second visits upcoming here. Soon, uh, Desmond Ritter might be going higher than most teams expect. I don't know about you. I thought Ritter would be a second-round pick, but it now sounds like he'll be a first-rounder. He visited with the Steelers today, I know, was one of the notable teams that have a quarterback need. Um, There were a few other teams. Do you remember any of them? Uh, I know the Titans met with Desmond Ritter. I know the Saints met with Desmond Ritter. I want to say the Panthers met with Desmond Ritter, too. That's right. Um, So I think – Clearly, I mean, I, I didn't really have a QB rankings. Uh, I, I didn't want to do one this year because the class is so poor. And um, I kind of had my takes about who, like, I think Malik Willis is the, is the best quarterback if you're looking at long-term potential. I think if you want a guy who's going to come in and, and you want him to win you a game this like right now in the next in the first four weeks of the season, you're probably looking at Matt Corral or Kenny Pickett. Um, you know, and then there's in between with, with Sam Howell, the guy who has some tools, but you didn't really know. Um, same thing with Ritter. I think he offers a lot, brings a lot to the table. I think Ritter's definitely the most proven winner of, of the bunch. Um, you know, the guy took Cincinnati to two, what, thir- 12, 13 plus win seasons. So, yep. um, you know, won at least 25 games. One, I think it was what, 30 plus games as a starter at Tennessee. Tennessee. I don't know why I just said Tennessee, uh, Cincinnati. Um, so I just, you know, I don't know if, He's QB one for me. Again, I don't, I don't want to have to do QB rankings. We're going to for next week's episode, but not something I was loving wanting to do. Um, but I think he's going to be a first rounder now. I'll tell you right now, when I do a first round, when I do my just straight up, like the next time I do a mock draft, Desmond Ritter's going to be going in the first round. Um, it's just what it sounds like. Do I think it's right? Maybe not, but that's that's how the league feels. Um, and there's a couple guys that the league feels – higher on than, than, uh, than, than we do. And I think another guy was Charles Cross, the, the left tackle out of Mississippi State. Apparently, the league, the league isn't super high on him as opposed to the media is. Again, I don't know how much I buy of that because it, it's smokescreen season right now. I mean, it is smokescreen season. So there's tons of reports you can put out there about, oh, you know, people don't really like this guy or this is not that's put out by these teams that want to get him to have him fall to 13, to 12, to 11, to 10, whatever it may be. Um, we're in that season right now of uh of the NFL draft kind of news and buzz. Um, I guess one more thing, kind of mentioned on the visits that we talked about. Uh, each team only gets thirty official visits, like top. They call them top thirty visits. Um, they only get thirty players. So, like in theory, say the Los Angeles Chargers, my team is picking at seventeen. They could have seventeen players come in that could be there. That's not very smart because you have other draft days to pick on third round, fourth round, fifth round, whatever. You've got to have visits with those guys too to figure out who you want to take in those situations. So, um, 
you kind of get a good sense for if if your team's official visits get leaked, which the Chargers and Ravens haven't yet, and they typically don't because those both those front offices are pretty close to the vest. Um, but like the Cowboys have met with two or three receivers. Sounds like they may go receiver in the first round because you get a, you get this notion that well, if they've met with these guys on their top thirty visits, they may want to go with this position group. So uh, kind of a unique tape bit here towards the end of the draft season as we get as kind of we get closer to it. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, love to see if I can figure out a couple guys the Ravens plan on visiting with. But mentioned a little bit on Monday's fourth edition of Mock Draft Monday, uh, but Saints and Eagles uh, agreed on a trade with strictly draft picks. New Orleans sent to Philly the 16th, 19th, and 194th pick in this year's draft. The Eagles then returned to New Orleans the 18th, 101st, 237 and then next year's first and a second in a couple years. I think this is really because we talked about it on Monday, like I said, but Philly doesn't have to pay three fully guaranteed contracts in one draft. Uh, They do move up a spot with one of their picks, and New Orleans gets another pick in the first round this year, um, so they can kind of give themselves more flexibility whether they want to go tackle or quarterback. Um, But be sure to tune tune in to these next few mock drafts to see the route we take with their picks. Um, but in terms of New Orleans, they conducted a visit yesterday with free agent Tyron Matthew, safety who formerly played with the Cardinals, Texans, Chiefs. Um, he was seen in New Orleans. I believe a picture went viral of him walking into the facility. And he's conducting a virtual visit with the team on the other side of the picks trade, Philadelphia Eagles, today. It was just reported. Um, so definitely something to look out for is one of the top free agents is still on the market a month into free agency. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised he left New Orleans without a contract. I thought as soon as I saw him going to the building, I thought, man, he's going to be a saint. He's going to leave, not going to leave without a contract. Um, so I'm surprised he didn't get a contract from him yesterday. Um, he, in my opinion, is the only free agent that like big free agent name that's left out there that could sign before the draft. Um, we were we were talking right before we did the podcast today. I don't think Stephon Gilmore is going to sign until the draft is over. Similar with a couple other guys, bigger names out there. Um, just because there's, it's a deep corner class. For Gilmore specifically, it's a deep corner class in the first round. I think there could be five or six first-round corners this year. Um, certainly there's going to be four with uh, Derek Stingley Jr., Ahmad Sauce Gardner, Trent McDuffie, Andrew Booth. I think Kyer Alam's going to go in the first round uh, corner out of Florida. I also think Roger McCreary or, or – uh, Tariq Willen could go in the first round. Again, teams could reach for corners in the first round there. Um, depends on how you feel about Jalen Petrie and Daxton Hill. Both those guys are safeties that played in the slot a lot, so you consider them corners too. Be looking at almost you know six to eight corners potentially going in the first round. So um, for that reason, I think I think Gilmore may not sign until after the draft. Say a team maybe wants to get a corner in the first or second round, and there's no one there they think is worth picking, so they go a different route, and they go call Gilmore up and say, hey, we want to sign you now. We didn't get what we want in the draft. What's what's it going to take? That kind of thing. Um, that could be the route a lot of teams take. I think we kind of see this usually this little waiting period till after the draft, and you see some veterans sign uh, in, in early to mid May, which I think we'll see again this year. And another guy, I guess, Jadavian Clowney, looking to get brought brought back in Cleveland again. Another one that may be after the draft. Granted, Cleveland doesn't have a lot of picks this year now for the Sean Watson trade. They're certainly not a first-rounder. Um, but I could see them, if they don't get an edge that they like, and maybe this, they have a second-round pick this year or no? Um, I don't think so. I don't think they do. I think they have a, they have a third. 
I don't, I don't remember whichever their day two picks that they have, they don't get an edge that they like. I could see them bringing Connie back like day after the draft, potentially. I agree. Yeah. And something also worth noting is I believe it's May 1st. I don't think the deadline changes from year to year, which is the day after the draft, May 1st, if a free agent is signed with a team with a different team, that team that gains him no longer loses a compensatory pick for that following year. Um, I know we talked about it a few weeks ago. It was whether it was episode two or three. I can't remember. Basically, compensatory picks. A team is awarded in the following draft after losing a free agent. Um, the compensatory pick can be a third, fourth, fifth rounder most of the time based on contract and production. So if a team loses a player, but they don't sign until after May 1st, and they don't get a comp pick. And if a team signs a player after May 1st, then they no, long, no longer will lose a comp pick in exchange for the player that they signed. So a little bit confusing, but it's beneficial to teams if they can sign a free agent after that May 1st mark. Yeah, absolutely. Comp picks, it's, it's one of those like nuances of the NFL that unless you like you either know everything about it or you know nothing about it. Um, I only recently in the last couple of years know a lot about comp picks. Um, comp picks are also, it's, it's fluid every year. The values that they place on them for like certain players and, and their requirements for a third or a fourth or a fifth or a sixth or a seventh, they change every year. Um, so it's kind of an interesting thing to watch and I kind of watch it evolve a little bit. Like I think it's going to massively change next year. It was a pretty big change this year too. So, um, but yeah, I think that, that basically wraps up the pod today for the most part. Um, any kind of closing, closing thoughts from you, Brett, on the pod on the episode today? Yeah, nothing I can think of. Uh, like you said, to start off, pretty loaded episode today a good bit to talk about um recently that happened this week especially on the golf aspect but this upcoming monday we'll have our fifth edition of mock draft monday with a little added twist to it so be sure to tune in in four days for that um there'll be another trades but there will be a added aspect um, that we have not implemented yet in the mock draft monday so thank you all for listening uh, a little bit longer of an episode today but had a lot more to cover, so makes sense. But we are going to be releasing episodes, like we said, every Thursday and Monday until the draft concludes, and then we'll just be sticking to our weekly Thursday episodes. For now, um, we, we might little throw a little, a little twist on y'all here and there, but uh, that's the plan for now. Right. And uh, but yeah, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Cold Seat Podcast to be tuned in to the latest news. And we will see y'all in four days for Mock Draft Monday number five. See you guys Monday.